Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I am Evan Ross Katz. And we're here talking Survivor 44, Episode 9, Under the Wing of a Dragon. Wow, I thought we were going to get a coach reference this episode with this title. No coach reference, but <laughs> but we got another like standard episode of Survivor, which in my opinion is good news, especially in Survivor 44. So what did you think of the episode? Oh, I thought it was such a bummer. It was like, uh, this was definitely my low for the season, which I get. Like, you can only have high highs with low lows. Um, and granted, it was like the best possible outcome. So if, I guess let's start on a positive, which is that of all of the remaining players left, Kane is one of the most underdeveloped in addition to just being one of the most likable. Mm. And that's really not like saying anything about Kane the human being. I don't dislike Kane so much as like, I'm pretty thought free when it comes to Kane, mm -hmm. but of all the people that were going to go, because I'm, I don't know a ton about Jamie or Lauren, but I would rather learn more about them than I would Kane. Yeah. I obviously want more women staying in the game. So like the best possible outcome happened, but I will say on the whole, this was kind of a reminder that like, if the contestants don't pop, which is not to say that they didn't at all during this episode, but if they don't pop, the framework really is like, folding in a lot of ways. And I felt it particularly uh, during the challenge when I just was like, and we've said this before, it's like, you've watched this for 44 seasons and it's all of a sudden becoming like old hat for you. And it's like, well, sometimes, yeah. And this was just one of those episodes where I needed something different to happen. And even arguably like one of the high points of the episode, which was, you know, getting into Carolyn and her addiction, felt to me like it was veering back into that 41 to 43 place of telling, not showing. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, on the whole, I just, I felt like this episode lacked the zest that we had in so many of these previous episodes. Yeah, I feel similarly. And so if I'm, yeah, so if I'm talking about this as like an episode of Survivor, which we always like to do, it was in 44, one of the more boring episodes, if I can use that word, because it was pretty formulaic. I mean, we were set up for a really great dynamic with coming into this episode with each original tribe having three members left. And so what's going to happen? It seems like a pretty critical vote and it could go a lot of ways and it did go a lot of ways. Some of them didn't make sense necessarily. But it went the way that I wanted it to and the way that I think that the edit has signaling has been signaling to us that it will go, which is that Ratu is not longed for this game. And I think that that's uh, probably a good thing because I think of everybody left at this point, Kane, Lauren and Jamie are probably the least interesting or well-developed characters left on the show. I think there is something to Jamie in particular. I am interested to learn more about Lauren. I just like, it's getting a little late in the game to be learning uh, the basics about a person on the show. Uh, but, you know, I think there's still like a little bit of spark in Jamie in particular. But I mean, when you hold them up next to anybody on the Soka or Tika tribes, they just like can't uh, hold a what's the phrase hold a flame hold a candle to? I think it's a candle candle it's like why are you holding a candle just set it down <laughs> not you Sean in general <laughs> there was a time in this world where electricity didn't exist so it probably uh, goes back to that okay fair enough <laughs> Um, they should yeah, give I, them candles on Survivor. Wouldn't that be nice for like night shots? Yeah, that would be fine. Probably dangerous. I mean, <laughs> compared to what these people used to go through back when the back <laughs> back when Survivor was Survivor. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, yeah, just sorry. Wait, uh, because what was really nice about this episode was that they did have a rest day. Uh, but what was what became clear through that rest day is that 
everybody just kind of gets along. And I think that we've seen this now for the past few seasons. And I've been thinking about why that is. And I just listened to a really, really great episode of Our Hap, which was <laughs> Rob Sesternino, Shannon Gus, and George Mladenov from Australian Survivor, who is very outspoken. Yeah, if anybody knows George, you know that he's he can be a little abrasive, but he speaks the truth. And it was meant to be a deep dive into his game in Australia, but he spent an hour of the episode kind of like talking about what's wrong with US Survivor. And if we said everything that he said, wow, would we be get <laughs> would our ratings be plummeting? Um, but I think there was a lot of truth to what he said. And the thing that really stuck with me was that the way that they're casting it, and it's, this is not a criticism of any individual person who has been cast, but the casts on the whole think the same is basically what he said. They're all approaching the game in the same way. Uh, They want to play safe. A lot of them want to play under the radar. they have a very similar sensibility in terms of the way the game should be played. And that makes for a tricky job for the editors and production to make an interesting show. Because if you think back to the past seasons and like, I hate to constantly be hearkening back to the golden age of survivor, but it's kind of necessary here. Just seeing this episode title under the wing of a dragon I immediately think of Coach. I immediately think of Token Chains. And what made Token Chains so great was that you really had two separate camps, right? You had two camps of people that were like opposed on on very basic fundamentals. Like they didn't like each other. Their personalities clashed. I think it's really hard to get personalities clashing when the casts nowadays look the way they look. And so, yes, you've got like some fun moments of them sitting around playing I Spy and uh, sharing stories about their lives. And that's all well and good, but it's not necessarily memorable in the way that you remember uh, how everybody, you know, like you remember how Aaron hated coach or Sierra hated Tyson. Um, And it's like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily like gagging for like a toxic environment, but a little bit of like, a little bit of tension can go a long way. And the positive here is that I think What stuck out to me here is Danny sort of emerging as a little bit bolder of a personality than we've been seeing in the past few years. Like he's he's willing to sort of stand up and say, like, look, like nobody's sitting out for rice. Why would you kind of being like, that's stupid or at tribal council saying, yeah, I gave my scouts honor, but I'm not a scout, like kind of like willing to put himself out there as like. I'm okay being a little bit abrasive. It's nothing compared to what we've seen in the past, but it's a little, I found it refreshing here. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's get into the episode. Uh, Before we do though, actually, I have a correction from last week because we talked about the intestinal net that was in the challenge and how Carolyn was stuck in the net and, and she didn't get that big moment of Noel that we got with Noel in 43 where they get her out of the net. I don't know what was going on with me watching this challenge. Carolyn fully got out of the net. Many people told me (laughs) that Carolyn was out of the net. It was Carson who was stuck in at the end and needed help. Uh, And so I went back and I screenshotted that, put it on her Instagram. My my sincere apologies to Carolyn for underestimating her net uh, escaping capabilities. Okay, um, a little bit of a pivot, uh, but I was just gonna mention shout out to the way Jamie looked during the challenge itself was iconography. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have literally no idea what you're talking about. I'm gonna send it. It just was like a really like powerful like I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know why I'm she bringing was this only up. In it for like 25 seconds. I agree, but 25 of those seconds mattered to me. Um, also, like, Jamie, like, is starting to look, and I, I granted it's Survivor, so people, their appearance changes throughout, but, like, she looks very different this episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyone with me alone on the island? Maybe I'm I don't just know. seeing her for the first time. That could be. 
That could very well be. It's funny, I'm seeing all these people online and by all these people, some of our listeners will be like the two people that they might know who I'm speaking about being like, the editors are just having a lot of fun with this episode. And it's like, okay, they wrote down Yam Yam's subtitle and like they did it, you know, they did that little effect. And then yes, they mentioned the fact that Jamie's idol is fake as she was going off about the fact that, excuse me, they yeah, that it was fake when she was going off about her idol. Like, if that is like so much fun on the editor's parts, it's like, we need to like, (laughs) we need to get these people outside. Like, I just, the bar is so low by way of like, again, to me, I would applaud the editors last week for the way the fart went down Mm. and then for the edit of the Carson, Carolyn, Mm. like net intestine Mm -hmm. moment, the the moment that Sean, you did not accurately state what happened, according to fans. Um, That to me was like, applaudable editing yes but like these moments are like i just sometimes the hmm, sometimes i'm just sort of like we need to when we lower the bar in such a way and praise that lowered bar it encourages the bar to remain low (laughs) and we want a high bar (laughs) we've caught evan in a mood this morning i think yeah, you know, can I just say, <laughs> tangential but related, I yeah. posted my review of the And Just Like That season two trailer yeah. on my new Substack, and I, and I was pretty negative because I'm pretty negative on yes, And Just thanks. Like That. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think of me as negative? Uh, no, not overall. But no, you think but I you have a very to the negative. Cr- you have a... You're, uh, you have a Proclivity towards criticism. I've I've been told that by close friends of mine. Um. Okay, I'm biting my tongue. Never mind. Keep going. No, please, by all means. No, oh, I want to hear well, it. Well, no, I was just gonna say. Um. Wait, can I just correct that to say I'm not uh, correct? Sorry. Yes, I do. And yeah. when I love something, I'm like very vocal about my love of a thing that I love. Absolutely. Okay. I know. I this is it's not a bad thing to no, be No, 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 but I'm but I'm here. I actually think it's a think... good thing. I think that's like it, I think it's undervalued as like an aspect of your character. Like I actually think that it's highly undervalued and very smooth brain to not like that about somebody because mm-hmm. I also have a proclivity towards criticism. Mm-hmm. And I've really tried to um, get that under control in our recaps because nobody likes to like I, because most people don't want to tune into a recap of something that they like and hear just negative about it. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, yeah, whereas I if I was just yeah. being completely unfiltered, <laughs> yeah. I would have different. I would come at this with a different perspective, particularly this mm-hmm. episode. And I like. Mm-hmm. And having said that, I really like Forty Four. I think it's the best season of the new era so far. Um, but there is, and I've said this a thousand times, if you really love something, and I really love Survivor, and I know how great Survivor can be, because I've loved it for as long as it's been on TV, I feel that I that my criticism is coming from a place of love, and that I know that the thing that I love can be better, probably in the same way that you love, I mean, I don't know, I'm speaking for you, but you loved Sex in the City. And so, and just like that, you're criticizing because you feel it could be a certain way and it's not that way. Is that mm-hmm. true? Yeah, we're totally aligned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I wrote that review and then I just, and it was, I was, you know, it's my substack, so I feel like I can be like myself in the purest sense. Um, but I feel like I left off with the fact that like, I will be seated for this show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I am, yeah, to your point, like, I I love this thing so much. Um, And not even like I'm going to hate watch it. I'm going to love it so much and criticize it. They're like, two things can be true. Anyway, so anyway, that was like, I I was reading that message as as I was on my way home last night about my and just like that review. And I was like, it bothered me a little bit just because it's like, and, and honestly, not the feedback didn't bother me. It made me assess my own self, but which is to say that like, like, yes, I, but like, like I said at the beginning of this episode, it's like, let's start with something that I did like. And there were things that I did like, and I still am really high on this cast. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I, I do hear you though. And, and, and again, when I say hear you, I know you're not pointing out a negative thing about me, but I have heard in the past where it's like, 
that I can lean towards the criticism. So I'm, so as a result of that, cause like I have to be me, right? So I'm gonna keep criticizing. So what I do to sort of not circumvent that, but maybe balance it a bit more is sort of task myself with saying, and I do this too with Billy sometimes where it's like when we wanna shit on something, we'll be like, okay, well let's start with something that we loved about it because that will qualify the critics, like that'll give it more weight because it's not just from, you know, someone mm -hmm. that's trying to yuck a yum. You're not a hater. I'm not a hater. Yeah. It's the old compliment sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm more like a compliment than an insult. I don't need like the, you know, the other It's layer. like a compliment open sandwich. Open yeah. face sandwich. Yeah, I'm like a compliment. It's like a creme brulee for me. Mmm. In the sense that... Well, the compliment sitting on top and then you like crack through it and then everything underneath is like... The stuff you really want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, uh, I don't, uh, yeah, whatever. We don't need to spend more time on this. <laughs> but I do think it's an interesting topic, like, on the whole. And I do think as, like, I always keep thinking about, you know, Patty lapone has been doing this round of interviews around Bo is Afraid, and one of the big talking points she's been saying is, like, she doesn't want to do theater in New York anymore because she feels like audiences, understanding of the theater, like, sort of audience literacy is going downhill, you know? And as a result, she doesn't want to perform. And I do think that's interesting. I've been seeing this too, where it's like, you see these viral tweets all the time on Twitter where someone will pull out like a clip from High School Musical 2 or something and be like, nobody was doing it, like Ashley Tisdale and High School Musical 2. Or recently there's a viral tweet going around saying, Jessica Simpson's vocals in the early aughts outdid Christina Aguilera and, and you know, some of the other singer, Mariah, et cetera, like the singer singers of that time. And it's like, are you joking me? And then it's like, you and I have offlined about this, which is like the sort of like these bad faith arguments and whether or not to give them weight. Yeah, but like, yeah. there is just this tendency to like, again, want to lower the bar to like, when you see people reacting to something in a way being like, well, then I must get in on that and have an opinion about it because I need to get in there and be like, wait a minute, Jessica Simpson's voice sucks. And it's like, well, yes, Jessica Simpson's voice sucks, but like I also don't need to like put that out in the universe because I think the universe uh, told her that you know by way of her album sales in the early aughts. Mm. Actually, for a time, it kind of did. I actually don't but, think her voice sucks. Uh, it doesn't suck. You're right. I agree. <laughs> Get her on Survivor. No, but anyway, my point just being that it's like I do think there's a larger conversation to be had about sort of like the ways in which if if media literacy and yeah media literacy in general is going downhill what then does that sort of how should artists and critics both respond as a result of that if that is a truism like w then where do we go from here mm. this is a question to tackle on our season 44 recap for sure yeah yeah well we are almost 20 minutes in so let's get into an actual recap <laughs> because <laughs> there is stuff I want to discuss. First of all, Jam Jam, because he has this narrative going that anybody who wrote his name down has to go home, which I like that concept on paper because it's so black and white and not necessarily rooted in like a, a sensible way to play the game because people write names down for all kinds of reasons. Granted, in the particular reason that he's talking about at that merge vote, I think those people did intend on sending Jam Jam home or having him as the, the backup uh, uh, of who could go home. But I love this like vendetta story because it's, again, something we don't often get on Modern Survivor where things are so fluid. And I think that the players are really open minded and you have these like voting block concepts going on even in the preview for next week. I think Jamie said the era of alliances is over. And I actually don't, I just don't think that's true. Call it what you want. Call it a voting block. Call it a trust cluster. Call it whatever you want. It's an alliance. And whether it disintegrates after one vote, two votes, three votes, a whole season, it's still an alliance. And that is like the very definition of an alliance. And so uh, anyways, I really love that you have Jam Jam here just like holding this vendetta. But my big question here is that, so he says that 
Josh, Brandon, and Matt all went home after writing his name down. He says, Kane, he wants Kane out. He's like hell bent on getting Kane out because he wrote his name down. But the question is, what does he do about the vote that Heidi made Lauren cast for Jam Jam in public? Like this one, he knows 100% and it was a public firing of a shot. Does he want Heidi out? Or is he going to blame Lauren for that vote? Is that rhetorical? No, I'm asking you. Oh, I don't know. Like, do you? <laughs> if if Jam Jam is pissed off that anybody wrote down his name, doesn't it stand to reason that these people he's working with at Soka, like one of them publicly told someone to write down his name, and that was Pittsburgh Heidi. Uh-huh. So, like, how far does this vendetta extend? Or is there, like, a, does he have a, 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 a free pass for Heidi? My thought, I guess it's deviating a little from what you're saying, but, like, on that is sort of, like, I just don't really buy the 3-3-3 alliance of it all. Um, and, like, I don't think that Tico was, like, this fulcrum that they were sort of narratively made out to be. Mm. Um, I just get the sense that, like, Jam Jam likes... Heidi, Pittsburgh Heidi. Like, I think that there are just real bonds happening. And I think it just so happens that the three people that are making the least connections with the overall group happen to be, is it Soka? Is that the name of the tribe? Mm-hmm. By the way, what is this Vava tribe? Is that the name? Yeah. Eat rocks. Like, come on. We can't come up with something better. Vava? What's wrong with Vava? I just think it sounds sad. Vava? Vava you don't Loom. think But you don't think va, you think Vava is like an inspired tribe name that you'll remember. Like I keep thinking about okay, Am I so, gonna remember any of these tribe names? So it's funny you say that because it's like the tribe names from Survivor Australia like really stay with me. Aganawa? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but like Vava, I just feel like it's like I don't know. I feel like it's like teaching a child's first words. It like it is. A, it's it's a real term, I believe. Like it's a, a Fijian word, so it's okay. like not shit on the language. But yeah. all right, my apologies. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's not shit on the language. I just don't think we need that. I think we could get you a. Yeah, you don't love the, the something sound. a little bit, a little bit more, something to chew on a little bit. I don't more mind in it. The... Do you remember the merge tribe name in the past three seasons? No, have we gotten a long tribe name in a while? I feel like we're always sort of doing the one or two syllables. Uh, I think that one of the merge tribes, 41, 42, 43, one of them felt a little longer to me, but can I remember the name of it? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, though, but it's just like, I think at the end of the day, it's like Lauren, Kane, and Jamie have just made the least bonds. And so I don't necessarily think it's always so much about tribal bonds whereas i just think sometimes it's personality based and then it just so happens to be that there are these tribes but i don't know the presentation of tika as the fulcrum with it all of a sudden randomly we get this franny which by the way this was never really explored where like that moment where franny is like well wait a minute what if we just all go after tika collectively and then danny's like no but it's like it's like, I just, that was hard to, it's like, where is that coming from? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Was... I thought that that was really interesting because also you have, and I think you had it last week as well, where the Ratus did want to work with the other tribe. Like they would go to Soka. Uh, I think we had last week Brandon telling Danny, I think, who he was going to vote for, which was Franny, mm-hmm. which is then how... Danny, one of the reasons Danny knew to play his idol for Franny. And so this war between Ratu and Soka, I think, is a little like more complex than they're presenting it as because, right. because they are opening the door to them multiple times, even after they've voted against each other at Tribal Council. They are continuing to go back and be like, what can we do here? And so it's not as like drawn like it's not a line in the sand i think that's that's like uh really really defined they're they are open i mean like if each of them has three people like there's only so much you can do with three votes or four votes that ratu had uh this week with lauren's extra vote um so yeah i do think that like 
narr- narratively, I think it's a good way to push it, especially given yes. that this is the way the votes go, because it makes for a good narrative. But I think uh, the way that we're actually seeing it play out, it is a little bit more complex or nuanced than than that. It's also just like curious, like, you know, considering the fact that Carson has yet to even be considered mm-hmm. as someone to go home, despite the fact that he has like, it seems very obvious to us and many people watching that Carson has a very good shot of winning this game. Mm-hmm. It's surprising that no one, you know, when they're making this Kane vote, for instance, it's like, does any one of those eight people think that Kane has a shot of winning Survivor? Was this like, was this a strategic? Because then also they were like, well, he's a physical threat. And it's like, Kane hasn't won shit. Like, only women have won individual immunity so far. So these big, strong men that we speak of really are not proving themselves. But it's just odd because I would be gunning for Carson, Carolyn, and Jam Jam off the bat solely because they're so lovable, all three of them. I guess I'm confused from the player perspective, like taking out someone like a Kane, like is do the eight of them actually in their minds think that that was a good strategic move? Yeah, all I could think about when they were talking about how Kane is the biggest threat on Ratu was that uh, I felt like we're not seeing something, like we're missing a perspective mm-hmm. here on why that is because we certainly as an audience ha- haven't gotten that from Kane and yeah, like Dungeons yeah if if the reason was that like he's well connected to Carson and therefore Tika like I, that would make sense um in the way that like because because Carson got swapped over to Ratu and then he had this like nerd bond with Kane and so if that is if there's a perception out there, especially because Carson and Carolyn, I believe last week did vote with the raw two. So like on paper, it looks like uh, that they have them sort of like as part of the Alliance. If that was the reason was that Kane was the connection to Tika, that would make sense, but that was never vocalized. Um, But otherwise I'm not sure what else they're seeing because we haven't seen it. And so, like maybe there's a thought that like Kane's sitting around like gaming and because he's like a big gamer, big Dungeons and Dragons, like maybe they just think he's like running numbers all day long, but it's not something that that has come out in the show. And mind you, I'm not like hankering for more Kane over here. So like I'm fine <laughs> with things as they were, but right. you do have to wonder if not now, when will people start looking at Carson, Carolyn and Jam Jam, yeah. not just the out the other people, but even them amongst themselves and say, wait a minute, my biggest competition are my closest allies. Because I think you can look around at this point and see someone like Lauren, for instance, and and it's hard to paint a winner's game for someone like Lauren. And mm-hmm. if I were the other players in the game, I too would realize that. And as a result would be like, yes, let's keep someone like Lauren around. Let's keep someone like Jamie around. Um, and go after people. Like, I'm surprised. It's, it's still, it's so shocking that Carson's never even been mentioned as someone yeah, to take out. Yeah, not mentioned at all. Because when they're sitting around saying that Kane is such a threat, in my mind, even trying to put myself in their shoes, I would think, well, Kane is like kind of, I think the way they're perceiving him, because of course they're not seeing Carson's confessionals, which I think are really driving his narrative. We do see him making moves and talking to people and making relationships and sort of like subtly directing votes, but there's there's been nothing showy. He's in his explanations of his games, of his game in his confessionals. I think that's where we're getting the idea that Carson has a good shot at winning, mm-hmm. but still... That's about the same that we've seen for Kane. And so, yeah, it stands to reason, like, why why would they be talking about Kane, but not even talking about Carson? And the only thing I can think is that both of these Soka and Ratu tribes really feel the need to keep Tika around for the numbers. But then you have Franny in this episode saying, wait a second, like, I want to get rid of Jam Jam. Like, I would love to get rid of Jam Jam. And then then I wonder, wait a second, why do they think Jam Jam is the threat of Tika? And it might just be because he's the loudest. So that's sort of my take on it. Can we talk about Pittsburgh Heidi, though? Because her 
renaissance is just uh, continuing here. Renaissance. Well, you can't really have a renaissance if there was nothing to begin with. No, yeah, she's rising. <laughs> her birth it has has been happening, um, where she has really come forward in the edit since the merge. And here she is once again. She she is the one we see direct the vote against Kane. It's her voice that says when they first got back, I want Kane out. And then they talk about also flushing. Uh, they also talk about flushing Jamie's idol and they achieved both in, mm-hmm. in one move. So uh, she, not only does she direct the vote here against Kane, but she also finds a hidden immunity idol. Yes, uh, I would qualify that as one of the least uh, reactive uh, idol finds in Survivor history. It was very, very matter of fact. Um, Okay, well, here's a question to pose about the Pittsburgh Heidi edit. So we talk a lot about, you know, purple edits and Mm -hmm. uh, under-edited players. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation about, like, Erica, for instance, and her win on Survivor 41. I think one of the most famous sort of, like, late emerging edits is Natalie Bolton on Micronesia, who was a non-entity for 80% of the season, if not more, and then came in at the 11th hour and became iconic in, what, like, two or three episodes? And so I guess the question becomes, it's generally believed that when a player is under-edited up until a certain point, that that's a bad thing. But there is something to be said, and this goes beyond just Survivor. This is just like in life, right? Where it's like, you have someone that you were never even considering, and then all of a sudden they emerge, and when they emerge, they do it in a big way. You know, um, it's not necessarily a slow burn because the slow burn implies that there was a simmer. Mm -hmm. And I think in some of these instances, like a Natalie or potentially Pittsburgh Heidi, it's like, I didn't even know the stove was on. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're boiling. Your hands getting burned. (laughs) My hands getting burned. Keep it going. (laughs) So I guess just what I'm posing, and I don't think there's an answer to this question, but it's like, I think the general belief is, that it's a bad thing, like that you need to have, you need to be present throughout the entire season to to be like a good, to be like not a good survivor player, but to be like a good survivor player in terms of like memorability or in terms of like, mm-hmm. you know, for the fans to really love you. Um, and obviously Heidi right now, this is not the 11th hour, right? We're like at the midway point and yeah. she's not been entirely purple. We've gotten a little bit from her, but yeah, she's definitely emerging in a very big way. And I guess like something I want to just sort of like more put out there for people to consider is it's like the the power in that, right? The power in like this character who previously wasn't an entity becoming a huge entity and very quickly I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily, but I think the perception often, at least from what I see from the fandom, is that we'd rather our players, we'd rather get to know our players throughout the 16 weeks that the mm-hmm. show airs, or however many weeks. Um, and I feel like it can, I mean, Natalie, again, is sort of the outlier in that, but I guess it's sort of like, it's interesting watching Heidi emerge now when she's emerging, whereas someone like Carolyn, for instance, it's kind of like we've gotten doses of Carolyn every week from the outside. Yes. I think that what's strange about the Heidi edit to me is that we didn't see anything about her coming together with Danny at Soka. And now you have these two characters. I mean, Danny is a huge character on the season. And Heidi is becoming a bigger character on the season and they are always working together. They're always voting together and yet we don't have their origin story. And that sort of strikes me as odd because all of the time that we spent over on Soka in the pre-merge was focused on Franny and Matt's origin story. And I think back to other duos where, uh, for example, Shannon Ricard, we saw them come together. And I think, why did we see them come together? We saw them come together in a similar way that we saw Matt and Franny come together. I think we saw them come together so that when they're taken apart, it is more of a moment. And so maybe Danny and Heidi aren't coming apart. Or that their coming apart isn't uh, like a a betrayal or like an awful terrible thing to happen like Franny and Matt being so unfairly broken up uh, early. Um, But 
I f- like if I'm just trying to make sense of it narratively, I have to think that like this, despite the fact that these are two really important players in the game, uh, at this point, if you just look at the past couple episodes, big characters in the game, why didn't we see the origin of that relationship? Mm-hmm. We were told that they're a duo. We didn't see that they were a duo or like what their relationship is at all. We still don't really get that. Well, similarly, we had that moment with Heidi and Lauren at Tribal, the you lied to me moment. And it's like, remember we were talking, I think two or three weeks back where we got that shot of them at Tribal. It was like right after the merge or something. And we were like, oh, we had no idea that they're they're in some sort of alignment on some level. And then here we are being like, oh, they don't like each other. But I was like, I, I, I thought that they were working together, let alone that they were working against each other but then like in my mind i'm like i reminded myself well they're on opposing tribes so it makes sense that they wouldn't be working together but there is that confusion and then also just we talked about this where it's like where do various we don't see a lot of we because of this uh condensed uh 26 days we don't see a lot of the dynamics between various people so it's like what is the relationship like between like franny and Kane, or I don't know, just throwing that out there. But it's just like there's a lot of dynamics right now that like we see the same people sort of talking. Um, For instance, like when we see Carolyn, it's with Carson and Jam Jam. And then we got that moment with Franny doing the talking head, talking about her love of Carolyn. But that was after Carolyn had this big group moment. And I think what I was craving from that Carolyn group moment, and this is no fault of Carolyn's, obviously, but I like those moments. Those moments hit more for me when they're said to like, in a like to one or two other people, mm. whereas like sharing it with everyone kind of made it it feel less of a I don't know it felt less impactful. Now at the same time, I'm not policing the way Carolyn chooses to share her story, and obviously it's like yeah, it is a powerful way to bond with people and to give them an idea of like who you are outside this game. So like yeah, of course, but um, I I am just curious about like. Is for instance, have Lauren and Carolyn have a, have a, had a conversation before? Yeah. And if so, have they ever, you know, put out there the idea of like, what if we, from these two opposing tribes, that you know, two people that seem to have nothing in common, what if we made a final two? Yeah. And what if we don't tell anyone about that but each other? And what if Carolyn's like, oh, I've got an idol, and Lauren's like, oh, I've got an extra vote, and all of a sudden we have this final two that is completely unexpected with quite a lot of power. I'm always surprised that more people don't seem to explore their options where it just seems to be very finite. Like here's the one tribe, here's the other, they're at war and then here's this third tribe and they're in the middle. And so basically the vote just comes down to which way this third tribe will go. I just don't think it is that simple. And maybe that's the edit simplifying it for the sake of the narrative. Um, Or maybe it's just that these players like are not truly exploring all of the viable options. Well, what about this? What if it's the 26 days? Because when you have a tribal council, like every day or every second day, like there's a few times where it happens, I feel like last night at tribal council, we did this. And so having this day off, I think really illuminated some things for me where it's like, oh, where they specifically say, oh, we have a rest day. That's nice. And we get to sit around and play games and share stories about each other. I think that if you had more of those rest days built in, it it allows two things to happen. One, just like natural social connection, where on this rest day, it seemed like they were all getting to like, it was the first time they were able to sit down and paint the tribe flag, and they've been merged for three weeks on the show and so like they're actually painting the tribe flag Mm -hmm. they're sharing stories about each other they're playing games that's great but if there was a rest day every third day um we they probably wouldn't be sitting around in a group they would be doing more like go off together let's hang out let's go lay on the beach let's go like sit in the water and talk and those happen in little groups and i think that's where those like really key connections can happen across tribal lines And then the other thing it does is it allows for the editors to play with the storyline a little bit more, where when you have these rare rest days, the whole tribe is just like hanging out and chilling like in the same spot, right? Where if you, I think, this is just my opinion, I have no idea that this is true, but I feel like if you had a rest day built into every round of the game, 
uh, you would get more people breaking off into twos and threes, which means that you have more footage to play with out of sequence. So that if there was a scene of Carolyn and Lauren talking, but it happened during the merge episode, and there just wasn't time in the merge episode because there was too much to get to with like a chaotic vote, etc., etc., then you could plant that two episodes down the line and be like, oh, by the way, this relationship exists and here's what they talked about and maybe it comes to nothing maybe it comes to something Um, but it just gives you a little bit more room to get footage of different people without without everybody being there so that it can't be used in a future episode and like typically i would i would be the first to be like i don't want to see something that happened three weeks ago like i don't want them to trick me but actually i think there is like there is value in that. Uh, and I think that it's happened many, many, many times in Survivor totally. history. And it's it's kind of like, I would imagine, a nice to have on uh, the like post-productions part. Uh, and I just don't know that you're able to get that in a 26-day game. Should we talk about the rice negotiation? Because I have some things to say. Sure. I mean, I feel like everyone knows what we're going to say. I mean, it's stupid. <laughs> it's dumb. Um, it's not a negotiation. Like, it's, I feel like it's like yeah. we all, we are intelligent listeners of, or yeah, of this podcast. And so understand the fact that, like, yes, this makes no sense. Like, uh, yeah, there, I guess the only way in which something like this works is this kind of goes back to something that you said earlier, where you talked about the fact that at the end of the day, these people all kind of get along. So watching a air quotes, a negotiation like this take place is so is done so amicably. And the only way in which I think something like something like this can potentially be interesting um, is if there's more of a standoff by way of like personalities, but it was sort of just like, it was less, are we going to get to four? And it was like, which, which amalgamation are we going to get to four at with? Well, like, I do think what came out of this that was interesting was Danny being vocal about uh, about not sitting out. And then when Kane does sit out, that he gives his scouts honor. And then the Danny says, I'm not a Boy Scout. Like, I think that that was like a memorable moment, the I'm not a Boy Scout. And then voting Kane out. Uh, I think that that was like a good story for Danny because we just don't see people be like that up front. Um about their sort of like two-facedness very often anymore on Survivor. But this is what I actually had to say about the rice negotiation. Actually, I have two things to say. (laughs) So the reason, well, one, it's wild that Angelina pioneered this whole new twist, like this whole new piece in the format of the game of Survivor that now this is like a thing that they're told, oh, it's time for the rice negotiation in tree mail time to think about it and then it happens Uh, as you say it's not a negotiation because jeff sets the price and there's no negotiating on the price of four people but incredible that angelina did that but let's think about why that was such a moment because presumably they brought it back because it was such an iconic moment in david versus goliath it was iconic because Angelina kind of went rogue. I mean, like she told people she was going to do this and then she did it in such a strange, like unconventional way of like offering everything they had in order to get rice, which is like a bad way of negotiating um, by giving your best offer first. And so that's why it was memorable was because Angelina made it memorable. It wasn't memorable because it happened. It's not memorable that like, like, can you remember? I mean, I know the answer is no, so don't answer. But can you remember any, mo- can you, is there any memorable moment that came from a rice negotiation in the new era? 41 to 44. No, there's not. Literally, I can't even remember two of them. So... <laughs> So I just think some of these things that they have identified as iconic in Survivor's history, like I'm not sure that they're getting what makes it iconic necessarily. And it, that reminds me of something that Jeff said at Tribal Council, which was when he asked Kane, would you rather play a chaotic season of Survivor or a quiet season of Survivor? And I think that's what's left unsaid here. You know, if I was sitting at that tribal council, what I would want to ask Jeff is, Jeff, what's your definition of a chaotic season of Survivor? Is it randomness in the game mechanics or is it chaotic players? 
And I think that there's like a huge, huge difference in that. Uh, and I think that, uh, as we've seen, I think the answer for Jeff is chaoticness in the randomness of the uh, chaoticness, chaos in the randomness of the game. Um, so that being said, the other thing I have to say about the rice is that they get this rice, they're eating rice on Survivor. They're so excited to be eating rice on Survivor. Then they talk about how energizing that was and how their brains are working better now. And they're able to like talk through the votes better and they're strategizing better. Does that not signal to Survivor, like give them rice? Just give them rice. If they're going to play more aggressively and talk more and have more energy, is that not a good thing for the show? Mm-hmm. So I like I just don't understand how they see that and, and go, oh, you know what? The, f- the lack of food makes no difference to the product of our show. The presence of rice might. Um, so anyway, that was my takeaway. There have been those seasons in the past where they're like, you can opt to sit out of the challenge and you can sit on the sit out bench here and gorge on burgers and fries yeah. and milkshakes until the challenge is over. That's just makes for fun TV. Yeah. I think the other thing that's lacking with the rice negotiation is it's like, it's just ultimately pretty uninteresting. It's which four people are going to get a sit, going to sit out. And ultimately, and we talked about this before, it's not so satisfying watching these people eat the way it once was back in the day when they were truly surviving. And again, we'll go back to Tina and her Dorito, but it's like the ecstasy of Tina. <laughs> crunching on that Dorito, you can't yeah. recreate that. So the idea of just like watching a bunch of people that haven't eaten for two and a half weeks having some rice, I don't think it gives like a particularly interesting um, outcome for the audience watching the show, um, as opposed to this giant table of food that they're snacking on during the challenge while those yeah. that opted to stay in the game are suffering in the rain. I just think yeah. that's such a more interesting motif to create that is a missed opportunity. Yeah. And that can create animosity. And I think like a good season of Survivor needs some animosity. And also uh, what happens if you have like, you have like somebody, somebody's whole alliance sits out and then they're the last one standing like, well, I guess I have to play this and not eat. And now the pressure's on me to win for our alliance. Also, not for nothing, the fact that the people that are sitting out would be the ones that are now, quote unquote, energized. Yeah. And those in the challenge would be exhausted from the challenge and then have no nothing to get them on that level. So I think that sort of dichotomy would also create interesting strategizing. Yeah. Yeah. Bring that back. That in the auction. Okay. Well, Franny wins her second immunity of the season. She's, a, she's the challenge beast of the season. And when it comes to the strategy, I have to say the chokehold that the knowledge's power has on the new era seasons, despite not even being in this season, is wild. And I don't know how I feel about it because on one hand, I like, I kind of like that they're shifting advantages and stuff around and that, for example, Jamie's idol, which she believes to be real, goes to Kane. Kane gets voted out with it. And we did have a memorable moment in 43 when I think it was Dwight gave his idol to Jesse, unbeknownst to anybody, including the audience. And then it's revealed that, oh, by the way, I have this. And he was sent home. And so, like, there has been some moments coming from it. And I feel like, I don't know if it's just that it's been long enough that I've come around to the idea, but I actually think knowledge's power is maybe one of the better, better advantages that I've seen in the new era. And like, LOL, because rewind the tapes and I was like furious about it in 41, but it actually is kind of interesting. And I do wonder if we'll ever see it again, because it never worked. Like nobody ever achieved the goal of getting an idol or or an advantage and now it's interesting that they've sort of like they're correcting for it when it's not even in the game but is there going to be a point where they just when they think they're safe enough that they don't have to worry about knowledge's power anymore it comes back Mm -hmm. sort of like i think about the idol nullifier 
when it comes back in Winners at War, apparently it was in 42, but nobody found it. Um, like that's another one that I think the concept of people didn't love at the time. And then with a little time, people have thought like, wait, like, what might be interesting to see that play out again? Do you have any desire to see the knowledge's power again? No, but I don't have strong feelings against it. Yeah. I just want interesting people on the show. <laughs> I don't really care about, I'm not even like, I, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a season one through 10 girl. Like if anything, I'm not opposed to that, but I really would rather our focus be on, I think the big focus beyond casting needs to be on reworking the challenges. Um, that mm. to me is needs to be the prime focus than it does investigating advantages and what what have you. And also yeah. like, not for nothing too, it's like the fact that if everyone knows that there's a new idol that goes into play, like that to me is again, one of those moments of like, there, you mentioned this too with like the rice negotiation, how it's like, we've come to the rice negotiation now because we all know it's a thing. It's the same thing where it's like, just because someone, an idol goes out, should the implication should not be known that a new idol is in play. I just think that that's sort of like a bummer because then it's like everyone just wakes up the next morning and goes hunting for idols. It just becomes yeah. very formulaic. I mean, we can thank Russell Hans for that, honestly. Yeah. That sort of is what it is. I don't mind that actually. Like I kind of like that, but but maybe what we need is more creative idol hiding. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, have Angelina go get her ladder and climb a cliff because that's interesting to have to like manage getting or like uh or like the old uh idol hidden at camp like i believe yao man had and amanda had to dig up in micronesia like that's fun but add a little if you want to add risk to an idol mm -hmm. add risk to the finding of an idol right or not okay so what do we have here on the on the strategy basically what we have is ratu wants danny or heidi out they're going to split the votes there nobody knows heidi has this idol by the way and like thank god because Finally, we've got somebody, uh, I mean, Marianne did this, but I feel Heidi is smart enough to keep her word on this, that she's not going to tell anybody about her idol, which is great. She might not even have to use it. Hey, maybe she's going to pull it out at the final tribal council like Marianne did, and it's going to get her the win. But then I think from the audience perspective, that's kind of redundant. Well, it doesn't matter. I think it does. Does it, does it matter if you're Heidi and you're playing for a million dollars? Yes, like, it she's does. Like, well, the audience is going to find this redundant. No, I disagree with you. I feel like I said this before and I'll say it. We need an iconic winner right now. And having someone pull out a move that's already been done a yeah. few seasons earlier. I'm not saying it's like it's a knock on her as a player, but is a knock on the fact that like we need a Carolyn or a Jam Jam or a Carson or a Franny winner at the moment and you know pittsburgh heidi's my girl you know that but i'm just saying it's like right now we need iconic players winning the game I, we really need to be mindful you. of the post-game interviews and also just the fact that not for nothing it's like do you know the actress zoe lister jones no she's on she's in the new film Bo is afraid um she plays Bo's mom the younger version anyway she was just on the talk promoting her new talk show and you can check her out on shut up evan coming up on season the new season of shut up evan but anyway she was just talking about her love for carolyn on the talk when she was doing her press tour really right, right? and it's like moments like that where it's like when was the last time you had a celebrity on a press tour randomly talking about their love of a survivor player. And I think that that's the Carolyn effect. And it's like, I think you need a kind of player that inspires conversation. Sure. I agree. All I'm so saying someone is being it, like, I'll, I'll <laughs> I get it. But someone being like at the final tribal, I had this idol and I didn't use it. A, that's not interesting narratively, even though it might be a good move strategically. It's mm -hmm. also something we just saw. So I just think that like, yeah. Um, what's that drag race quote? Uh, change it up. Change, uh, wait, sorry. It's like, it's like, um, it's, well, there's a drag race quote, but I actually can't think of it. But there's the, uh, dream girls one where it's like, turn the wig around. It's like, we need to turn the wig around. Okay. Effie, turn, turn the wig around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about what, uh, Heidi Wynn would do for Pittsburgh? <sighs> I hear She you. might get the key to the city. I hear there is one. Yeah, there's a key. But, Sean. <laughs> Have you seen it? 
I haven't, but like, that's probably because Andy Warhol maybe has it in his grave, or <laughs> Christina Aguilera has it, or Gertrude Stein has it, or Jeff Goldblum has it, or Michael Keaton Christina has Aguilera. it. Christina Aguilera. Oh, Stone for like bringing it. the stripped tour, the strip justified tour to town. Christina Aguilera is from Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Everything's coming together. Everything's starting to make sense now. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots of people who weren't from a city get the key to a city. Oh, I see. Not in Pittsburgh. I feel like we're like really, we're very like, we're, Andy we're for Warhol's local. Warhol's from Pittsburgh? Yeah. Born, raised, and buried. You're kind of the Andy Warhol of your generation. That Moved is the from funniest Pittsburgh thing to New York I've City. <laughs> okay, move on, move on, move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so. Oh my God. <laughs> love pop culture. Love a soup can. <laughs> uh, blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Rat, okay, so like I said, Ratu wants Danny or Heidi out. On Soka, Danny and Heidi want Kane or Jamie out. Franny, though, wants Carolyn or Jam Jam out. So there's a little split there. And there's also a split on Tika. This is interesting because Jam Jam wants Kane out and Carolyn wants Danny out. And this dates back to her negative experience with Danny and Brandon at the Advantage Island. She's still hanging on to that and going, I just don't like Danny. He's a muscle bro. And I was turned off by him to begin with. I'm still turned off by him and I want him out. And you have yet another disagreement between Jam Jam and Carolyn, where yet again, Jam Jam gets his way. Mm -hmm. And it's like a very subtle throwback to when Carolyn felt like the third turd. And like, is this going to be a problem? Are Carolyn and Jam Jam going to come to heads at some point? Yes. I think that. Yes. Was, yeah, I think that's very obvious. So, but like. I but also I, don't I, think they're as tight as we might think that they are. Hmm. Do you think that either of them, like, do you feel that any of the Tika three are tight with each other? I think Carolyn and Carson are perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Not Carson and Jam Jam. We've never really seen them talk. There was at at the well when Heidi was there. But yeah, not like, I think we've seen the two of them talk, but not like, it's not like they're like, I don't, I don't see, sparks aren't flying when they're on screen together. No. So that's, yeah, it's interesting because I know a lot of people, myself included, would love to see a Tika, Tika final three, but I find it hard to imagine a situation where none of them turn on each other. I also just want to say, it's like, I think that, we, myself included, want to believe that the Tika 3 is like akin to the Rotu 4 or like mm-hmm. and really have this like bond that like they're in it to the end. And I just don't think that's the case. Like I think that that's more fan desire. And again, I'm within that fandom where it's like we want to believe that like they are these three musketeers. Um, but I just don't think get the sense that that's truly the vibe. Yeah, I agree with you. I put this post up on our Instagram and it was of the final three from China, Todd, Amanda, and Courtney. And I said, name a more iconic trio. And so many people commented Tika. And I was like, let's take a breather here. Let's just take a minute because... (laughs) recency bias first of all but also like this was a uh, this was an alliance that really wanted to work together i feel like the tika three are together by circumstance exactly and while i definitely see a strong relationship between carson and carolyn uh and i see like an interesting relationship between carolyn and jam jam i don't know how close it is or like loving it is but uh there's something there that's interesting but i wouldn't say that it's like a a tight bond necessarily they're in survival mode like they're sticking together because if they don't they're done for so i mean like the previews for next week are like everything's pointing to a break within tika possibly um or that tika is being targeted suddenly and so i'm like whether that's a mislead or not we'll see but uh i like i don't know what's going to happen here and maybe the fact that we've seen Jam Jam thrown out there as like the quote-unquote big threat from Tika, um, he he could be in trouble um, because I don't think that people really see Carolyn as a threat at all. In fact, they probably see Carolyn as a goat, if anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we said, nobody's looking at Carson. So I don't know how it's going to go for them. But 
not much to say about Tribal. It was a long one. It was 15 minutes. Uh, so that was rough. And a lot of like, a lot of talk just, about plans. There was uh, a live weird... tribal where nothing was said. Yeah, that wasn't a live tribal. Also, <laughs> I mean, it's like, again, to dignify it by like being like, this sort of like, I'm not going to fall prey. Um, but that wasn't a live tribal <laughs> at all. Uh, but uh, I did want to mention Jeff has a weird moment in tribal. Do you know what I'm talking about? Which one? Um, I'll have to go back and rewatch it and we'll post the clip, but there's, he did we'll something, the episode, he did something weird. Know. Uh, I mean, yeah, he definitely had some weird moments, but I don't remember one in particular, but yeah, I thought it was a long tribal. The fact that they allowed Danny making the car metaphor to stay in the edit was a bit astonishing to me where I'm like, we're doing car metaphors again and we're allowing it back in. And I also just I, like, stop talking about the game of survivor at tribal, like, Talk about your game and like what you're doing right now, but we don't need your sort of like high level thoughts on this game. It's just extremely yeah. redundant. Like when when the tribal started, I had really high hopes because that's when Danny said the, well, I'm not a Boy Scout. So like, don't hold me to my promise here. That's interesting because then then it should be, wait a second. So so what does that mean? What's your relationship like with Kane? Kane, do you feel scared? Like why why do you feel scared? Why isn't this getting turned around on Danny? Like he's being so forthright here. Um, but instead it was like, so you've got a plan on Survivor. What does a plan even mean? And then we talk for five minutes about like plans and who has plans and then which plan do you believe? And then you see like like speaking in such generalities. And then the live tribal was literally <laughs> It was literally nothing happened where everybody was just like, so we're sticking to the plan. Yeah, sticking to the plan. Yeah, stick to the plan. Stick to the and plan. And they love doing this thing being like, and this happens so often where it's like someone comes to tribe and they're like, I still don't know who I'm voting for. And it's like, yes, you do, bitch. Yes. Well, the, but I, I don't know that everybody knew because there are some confusing votes. Like Franny voted for Jamie. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't make any sense because there was no numbers to get rid of Jamie. It's not like a backup. It's not a split unless she wants to like spin a narrative around that when they get back to camp. But I don't know what that narrative might be. And then um, Kane voting for Danny. I guess he was just not in. I, I guess what they thought because uh, Jamie cast Lauren extra, Lauren's extra vote for Heidi. So there's three votes against Heidi and then Kane voted for Danny. I guess Kane thought that Tika was voting with them and maybe one would put on Heidi and two would put on Danny or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that the confusing one is Franny voting for Jamie, which doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll get resolution to that. Maybe not. Also, just want to point out, I've said this before, I just wish that scenes for next week could be like a 30 second scene instead of just like the same <laughs> every week chaos of like soundbite, 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 soundbite. This game's crazy. I'm turning on my alliance. This is over. I can't believe she did this to me. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, give me something narrative. I don't know that I agree with that. Well, I don't want a 30 second scene. From okay, fine. Time. But then like, my point is it's like, you just get the same sort of like explosive yeah talking head bits and it's like show but see, us this is something. the thing is this like in, in this particular instance i actually disagree because okay. in this particular instance it was very clear tika's getting targeted and carson's wondering which of the two of his allies he has to turn on like that's a story for me that's telling me tika's in trouble next week why whether it's that three, comes three, to fruition two. or not wait, 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 wait it's three three two they're one of the threes i know i'm saying carson has to decide which two of his allies as in carolyn or jam jam why that's the way i'm reading it because if everybody else is coming at Tika, then he's like, I don't want to be on this sinking ship. Oh. Maybe I need to join Ratu and Soka and voting out Carolyn. Then give us that one scene where like that's actually like spoken about. I mean, like I picked it up. But also not for nothing. It's like last week. It's like you could have just given us the scene from next week being the Danny fart. And like that would have been terrific. <laughs> yeah, but then we wouldn't have been like as shocked. Okay, fine, but you get what I'm going for here. It's I like I don't need saying. it to be the narrative. Saying. It can be like here's a really yeah. fun moment that you should look forward to on Survivor. Honestly, I think there's bigger problems. Oh. There's bigger fish to fry here. But you know me, I'm just negative. I know. I hear you. Do you want to say anything positive about the previous? <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> I'm them enough. I'm joking. Oh, okay. I'm joking. <laughs> okay. Uh I'm going to find a screenshot, unless Evan, you've already cooked one up. Uh no, I just well, I, I am gonna 
I'm going to find the Janie photo that I'm thinking of and put it in stories, but it's okay, not. That will be great. Yeah. That'll be great. But what emoji will people comment on this week's post about the episode? Uh, the dragon because of the Dungeons and Dragons and okay. the dragon, the name of the episode. Let's do it. Typically, if I came up with something like that, you would say little too on the nose. Well, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Let's do the dragon. Let's do the dragon. Um, okay. I'm going to stop bullying Evan now. So we have a big episode coming out tomorrow. It is a bucket list interview that we conducted with a former winner of Survivor. Very excited for this one. It's a great interview. That will be available tomorrow. Our patrons have already heard it. And I have to say, like now that we've started it, bringing the emojis into the interview episodes and the patrons get them early like they're already they're already commenting the emojis so um, <laughs> anyways that's been fun to see so of course uh we have early access to our interviews on patreon if you want to check that out we will be starting our panama rewatch soon and we have our merch store where you can buy drop your buffs tees or black widow brigade tees for the first time ever somebody sent a picture of them wearing their black widow brigade tee in the wild yeah he was hot by all means like send these in what was that he was hot yeah he was I would love to see people in there drop your buffs merch. Uh, so like by all means, tag us in that. Um, I will repost. Okay. With that, is there anything else I need to say? No. You said Keep the ratings and reviews coming. We're getting so many nice reviews. It's very yeah. heartwarming. Every time I read one, it really makes my day. And then my day will be ruined with a one-star re- review. Just kidding. Water off a duck's back, as Jinx Monsoon would say. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.